Bibles, if you would, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul wrote a letter in between a letter, believe it or not. He wrote a letter between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that never got printed into the Bible. Maybe it was lost. May I, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to figure out why it didn't get in the Bible. But if you'll notice in verse 8, he says, I'm no longer so sorry. Now, I didn't say he sent the letter. Paul did. Paul said, I'm no longer sorry that I sent the letter to you, though I was sorry for a time, for I know that it was painful for you to you for a little while. He said, well, what do you mean? Well, it was painful to read what he said. Y'all ever read a letter from someone that, say, your mama or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a wife, and when you read it, it was painful? It was some things in there that you really didn't want to hear. There was really some things that, honest to goodness, it didn't have you looking the best in the world. And that's kind of like what Paul wrote. Paul wrote, evidently, a pretty scathing uh, letter. He said, verse 9, now I'm glad I sent it. Evidently, there was a reason this letter, touching on the things that it touched, it made a, it made a correction. It made a distinction. Paul says, now in verse 9, I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because of the pain that it caused you to have remorse and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow. But sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. Today I want to talk to you of why do we need to repent. Last week we talked about John made a comment. He comes and he's baptizing everybody. He said, you must be baptized and what? And repent. What does it mean to repent? Anybody know? All right, to turn away. What did it mean? What does repent or, or what did repentance have to do in your life at all? Is repentance really even important? You know, we, we sometimes think that baptize, baptism is not important. But Jesus, uh, or we read this last week, Mark 1, 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission. What's the word remission mean? Forgiveness. For the forgiveness of sin. The one reason that you and I have to repent, we need to be forgiven. And there's only one person that can forgive us. Jesus says this in Luke 13, 3. I tell you, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So understand that Jesus expects us when it comes to salvation to repent. What does that mean? We need to be what? Eternally forgiven. And the only way that we can be eternally forgiven is to go to a loving Savior who loves us very much, came, set forth the blood trail for you and I to receive His perfect blood so that when we go to Him and say, Jesus, I want to receive you, I want to believe in you, He says, but you also got to repent. 
John not only preached, preached repentance, but Jesus did too. And so it's important that you understand that the difference between remorse and repentance. There's a lot of us that feel guilty for what we do wrong. Let's say we mess up by our choice. We feel bad about it, but then you go on repeating. You go do it again. Did you, did you, get, did you repent? No. You felt guilty for it. You felt bad for it. But repentance is something else because he says it in this verse. It talks about godly sorrow versus sorrow or, re, or remorse. You see, godly sorrow leads us to a transformation in our life. It leads us toward a change of mind, a change. That's you, some of you said turn around. That's what that means. To turn around, it means we're changing direction. Sergeant in the army says, about face. And then he turns you around and you go in the opposite direction. And you, you don't fight it. Jesus said, I want you to repent all this evil, all this sinful stuff in your life. Well, the Corinthians, even though they might have gotten caught, they, they weren't bitter. Even though they had sorrow of despair and, and wounded pride and, and, and they, had, they faced manipulative remorse, they, weren't, they, they readily accepted that they needed to repent. You, you talked about difficult thing, times today. There is a group of people today that are like, and they're growing up, and they're in their 20s. They're the exact type people that, that I classify in my days as the hippie days. The hippie days were the days in the 70s when everybody sat around with long hair and daisies and flowers, and, and, and they didn't tattoo their bodies like they do today. They, they were all just smoking dope, and, 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 and life was nothing but about love. It was all about love. I'll tell you what I think God was trying to do in that time. I believe God was trying to send a revival during that age, and those dummies missed it. They didn't understand that love wasn't free sex, that love was that Jesus came to give us life. He came to give us love. And he is the only definition that love could even be about. But no, wait, we've got a society now that's, that's drugged out, fired, they're, they're burnt out, and, and they don't have a... I, and, and look, I was in those days. I was in the 70s. I'm talking to old Mike. And all I'm trying to say to you is to stand up and say, you need to believe God because God is love. You see, people go, oh, now I don't believe that junk. I don't believe a bit about if God was love, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't see this or we wouldn't see that. You're going to see it because there's, a, there's two spirits in the world. There's, there's God's Holy Spirit and there's an evil spirit. And you say, well, do you not see goodness in the world? Well, absolutely. I see it all the time. But I also see a whole lot of evil. I see a whole lot of, of Satan working in and out and through his people. You know, Jesus makes it pretty plain. Unless you and I repent, we're not going to heaven. Now, you can sit there and say, I believe in God, that I've been baptized, that I've joined the church, 
and, and, and that I'm a good person, that, Jesus said, is, is all great things. But unless you have repented, which means you've come to Jesus and you said, I received you, Lord Jesus, but I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me of all the sin that's in my life. And I want to turn from this sinful nature and receive the new nature so that I can be born again. Unless you do that, Jesus said, you will all likewise perish. You see, God is a loving God, and he is a gracious God. And he is a God who does hold us accountable for our sin. <laughs> he, he's just that way. And as believers, we need to understand that sin is not a good thing. Sin is a bad thing. Why? Why is sin a bad thing? All right, it separates. Why? Why? Why do you, other than being separated of God, why is sin a bad thing? I hear a lot of people say, Hoo-hoo, sin is fun, is it? Biblically, is sin supposed to be fun? Well, not really. And I'll read a verse to you in a minute because I'm looking at people that I believe that your heads are sitting on shoulders that are square, pointed straight ahead of you. You're not trying to walk backwards. You're trying to, to move ahead. You're trying to to uh, make sure that your grandkids learn things and, and you're wanting to provide for your wife and you want to provide for all these things. And, and don't you want God to bless you? Hello? Don't you want God to bless you? Th- th- this means yes. This means no. Yes, you want God to bless you. Well, then, <clears throat> when you're reading through the Proverbs and you come to a verse like this, people who cover their sin will not prosper. You want to know what that means? Everything that you say that you want good for you and your kids and your wife, you're not going to get if you're covering up sin, if you're hiding sin. You see, sin's not good for us. Sin is bad for us. If it was good for us, now think about this for a minute. If sin was good for us, why were we, when man was created, why were they created perfect? Why didn't he just go ahead and create us sinful? You ever thought about that? Why did it take a, 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 an act and a will and a choice by Adam and Eve to say, you know what, Satan, I agree with you. And we believe God is holding out on us. We're not listening to him. We're going to listen to you. And therefore, the Bible says, because they listened and they partook and they disobeyed God, sin is upon mankind today. Jesus said, "Blessed are those who, <clears throat> blessed are those who have tender consciences, who are not stubborn, hard-hearted, or headstrong." You ever seen that in your teenagers? Heck, I see it sometimes in little bitty kids, and they hadn't re- reached teens yet. Where does that he- where does that strong head, hard heart? Where does all that that uh, that stubbornness come from? i tell you where it comes from. It comes from the very foundation of the person who allowed it to be put into this society. And, and, and sometimes you and I don't understand, but we, we see this even in our own uh, families today. Proverbs says, if we confess and forsake our sin, we will receive mercy. What does sin actually do to us? Do you know that? When you and I are believers... What a sin. Does sin have an effect on us? What kind of effect does it have? All right. Guilt. 
What else? What is sin? When we partake of sin, what actually happens to us? Especially if we decide like Proverbs 28 and hide it. We ain't going to do anything about it. We're just going to hide it. We're going to just sit there and camp on it a little while. Does it have any effect on us whatsoever? If you don't know, let me give you a few. The first thing I want you to do is what does sin do to us? The Titus 1.15 says, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are, are corrupt and unbelieving because their mind and their consciences are, have been defiled, polluted, corrupted. Now you say, Mike, well, I understand that about an unbeliever because they don't give a rip anyway. I think the first uh, Second Corinthians, and, and I, it's kind of running hand in hand. I don't mean for it to as I'm teaching it through the auditorium class. But to be honest with you, a person with a natural mind, they're just doing what's naturally from the inside. But now when we have the Holy Spirit within us, we claim that we have the Holy Spirit in us, and God's in us. Is there anybody in here that claimed that God is in you that you've never been tempted since you've been saved? Anybody? Raise your hand. You've never been tempted since you've been saved. I didn't say that you didn't sin or that you sinned. I just said that you've been tempted. You know, <laughs> last night, my wife and I were I was watering the grass, and I, I was in, you know, I was tired, and I told her I didn't really want to go run around and do a whole lot. And uh, I was in a fair mood on the inside, and uh, all of a sudden, I get a knock on the door. Somebody was running and got scared. My, my, my dog, Daisy, got after her and run her down the street. So she calls her daddy crying. And, and, and the daddy comes to my door knocking last night. Son, I said, yes, sir. He said, this dog just chased my daughter. I said, really? Now, I didn't deny it. I mean, I didn't see it, so I didn't deny it. That dog almost bit my, my daughter. You got to do something with that dog. I said, all right. Now, down deep, if I hadn't have been careful, and I know if, if Jesus wasn't in my heart, I'd get a, I, when somebody gets in my face like that in my earlier days, I knew what I was going to do. I just could tell you straight up what I do. But, but I said, Mike, keep, keep check. Mike, remember, the Spirit of God lives in you, and he only lives a few houses down. Mike, remember, you're going to see him every day. Mike, remember, and I just, boy, all this stuff's going through my head. And I said, sir, all I can say is I'm sorry, and we'll take care of it. And he's out there throwing a stick. Now, I done watered my yard, and I'm already frustrated because there's mud all over my new porch. And I've cleaned it off eight times, and it's mud again today. He's out there trying to be nice, and he's throwing a stick out in my yard, and he's throwing it right in the mud. Well, my dog ain't going to do nothing but bring that stick right back to you where you stand. So he, said, he threw it three times. And boy, I said, oh, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm fixed. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what, the, what I could have done in this old flesh. I know what I could have. I know what I could have said. Kind of getting a little fired up about thinking about it. But I'm watching all this mud get smeared all over. And it's my dog. But I want to say, son, quit throwing that stick. But I didn't. I just kept my mouth shut. This morning, I went out there with a sledgehammer, and I 
I ended the dog's misery. Yeah, I drove a stake in the ground, and I tied it to a stick. No, that I mean, tied it to a stake on a lead. That dog is so miserable now because that dog was a free runner, and now she can no longer free. You see, sometimes when it comes to our life, before you got saved, I'll tell you what you were. You could go anywhere you wanted to do, and you did it. You could go do anything you wanted to do, and you did it. Now, what you chose to do, I know nothing about, and I'm happy not knowing. Don't you tell me. I don't want to know. That would mean I would probably have a, a, a half a dozen sermons that I could preach, but I don't want to know. I'd rather see your smiling face on Sunday morning. But I know good and well you went to places you had no business going. You were doing things you had no business doing. And you were thinking and saying things you had no business doing. That's who you were before Christ. But after Christ, guess what? Some of you done some of those things you didn't have no business doing. Some of you said some things you had no business saying. Some of you gotten some attitudes in people's faces And it wasn't what you should have done. That's why I believe 1 John 1, 9 is in the Bible. Because Jesus knew that that we were going to face temptation. And temptation, while it's not sin, once you cross over the line and you disobey, you transgress, now we're looking as a believer at sin. And, and, you know, I hear all these people, well, I just don't believe there's a God. Do you believe in sin? Do you believe in sin? Now, I haven't had one person ever tell me they didn't believe in sin once they understood what the word sin meant. Well, if you believe in sin, you've got to believe there's a God. While God didn't create it, create sin, he did make the individual that started it. Now, I don't know how all the angels came about. I haven't dug that deep. But And it don't really bother me because I know there's angels. Amen? You, the Bible says there's angels. And so understand that according to Titus, sin, even as a believer, can blind us. That doesn't mean that you know. That doesn't mean that while you're sinning, you, you know you're doing wrong. You know that this isn't right. But you get to the point where you're not sensitive anymore. You're not like a, an engine running and purring like a kitten, you're, you're backfiring, you're missing, and you're saying, you know what, you know, God, I know this is wrong, but you know what, God, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. You see, when it comes to what sin does to it, it will defile us. The second thing I want you to understand is it will decay us. We spiritually will begin to decline on the inside. You will never spiritually decline to the point where Jesus leaves you. He'll take you home first. The Bible talks about a sin unto death, and that's just fact. That's in the Scripture. And understand, if you want to know what that is, you study that. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, we need, we need to strip off every weight that slows us down. You and I are involved in a race called the Christian life, especially the sin that so easily besets us and hinders our spiritual progress. Now, one thing I know, and it doesn't matter who, I could, I could be blind right now, and I'm glad I'm not because I'd walk right off the stage. But I could be blind right now and not know any of it. But I can make this statement, and I'm going to make, hopefully I'll remember to make this statement in the next service. It doesn't matter who you are. Every one of you have an area in your life that Satan loves to poke at it. 
he loves to he loves to uh, focus you in on it. He wants to somehow to turn your attention to it. He knows what your weak areas is. You say, how does Satan know all that? He just does. And Satan is smart enough to know that you as a believer now, you have entered into a run of your life. All runners have to be disciplined, whether you're riding a bike like Jesse and or running like if Greg was here, he's running how many miles at a time? It scares you. Scares me how many miles that boy was running because I worry about his ticker. You know, he's up there close to my age. And, and here he is. He's running. It takes discipline, and it takes discipline in the Christian life to, to prepare yourself spiritually where that, that sin in your life that so easily trips you up doesn't easily trip you up anymore. In other words, you don't look for it. You don't long for it. Satan can't tempt you with it. Now, I'm going to tell you what. For some of you, that's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take some spiritual discipline. It's going to take you reminding yourself, Mike, your name is Mike. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Mike, remember who you are. Mike, remember who you represent. When you're feeling like knocking somebody off the porch, you remember who you are. Remind yourself who you are. And you see, Paul brings about, he said, he already knows that if we're not careful, we will be hindered by that which is so easily trips us up. So there's the sin decays. Thirdly, sin will destroy us. John 10.10, we all know that verse. Probably many of you have heard me say it. You've heard, you've even quoted it. Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. As I said the other night. Robin went through a, a trial in Brent, and so did Justin and them, for, for their animals. But one of it had been a child. And it's one thing to lose animals you love. It's another thing. One of it had been your grandchild. You'd had to remind yourself who you are. <laughs> You'd be ready to whoop somebody. When I first heard Robin called in about that dog, I, 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 I said, I won't, what's my gun? That's the first thing I want to do. I want to go hunting. See, that is in all of us. If we're not careful, it's in all of us. And that's a part of that unredeemed flesh that you all deal with when somebody ticks you off or makes you mad or hurts your feelings or stomps on your ego or or dips on your pride. We got all, all of us, we, I'm just being real with you, we all got that stuff in us. And we need to understand that Satan knows <clears throat> that we need to be careful and, and understand that there's sometimes when we step over that line and mess up, the Bible says we must what? Repent. The second point I want to share with you today is what does repentance do for us? Repentance is the response of a broken heart. It's the response of a broken heart because of sin. You see, some people think that repentance is nothing other than feeling bad. It's, it's conviction of sin. It's guilt. Can guilt forgive you? Can remorse forgive you? Can feeling bad for doing something wrong forgive you? No. You see, the only thing that 
Now, I want to say this about repentance because it's important that we understand. Repentance in itself cannot save you. Because I'm going to tell you something. Y'all can, every one of us today said, oh, Allah, I repent. I'm coming to you, Allah. I believe in you, Allah. I repent. I'm turning. I'm going to serve you. What good is that going to do you? Not one thing. But now when you come to Jesus and you ask Jesus to forgive you, and you ask Jesus to cleanse you, and you ask Jesus to, and you say, Father, I repent of it. You better be doggone serious when you say that. Because repentance means you don't want to return to the dog's vomit. You don't want to return to the sin and, and the, the degradation that you were in. You see, it's not just enough to be bothered about sin. It's not just enough to, to uh, alone have a conviction. James 2, 9 and 10 says, you know the de- that demons believe and tremble. Do you know that they have a conviction against what's right and wrong? Do you know demons know that Jesus is the Savior? Do you know that demons know they're not saved? They know that Jesus is the Son of God. They know about His power. But yet, the Bible says they tremble, but they're not changed. They tremble in fear, but they're not saved. They're in hell forever. Except those that are working on this earth. Matthew's Gospel tells us about Judas and how Judas felt bad for what he did. He walked and he, he, he gave the impression that he was a believer for over three years. And then finally, for 30 pieces of silver, he sells Jesus out. Feels bad about it. Gets guilty feeling about it. Enough, he goes and hangs himself. Where is Judas today? In hell. Because he didn't repent. Felt bad. Felt terrible. But he didn't repent. The word repentance means change of direction. You see, when you and I begin to sin as a believer, we're walking outside of the will of God. God doesn't want us to sin. God's given, and I think it's 2 Corinthians, He said, with every temptation, I provide you what? A way of escape. So does that mean that that's just an option? No. What it means is that with every sin, whether it's the sin of overeating, the sin of cussing, the sin of anything that you might have in your life that's not pleasing to God, He gives us a way of escape before. I had a way of escape the other night. It was difficult. You know why it was difficult? I didn't want <laughs> to step through it. I wanted to get in the Franklin flesh. I wanted to get mad. I wanted to get angry. Y'all ain't never been that way. I know because y'all are all spiritually minded looking people. You know, Jesus has a halo of every one of you guys. I don't think any of you get angry. You all, you all do everything you're supposed to do. And when you get knocked off your little perch, your little spiritual perch, then let's watch and see what you truly are made of. And, and, and it was difficult for me last night. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of action, a change of attitude. It's a change of mind. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And you say, well, preacher, I believe in God and and I'm religious and and I try to do good things. 
It don't matter when it comes to repentance. It don't matter how good you think you are. You're not good enough to get saved. You, the only way we're going to get saved is to repent and have a change take place in our lives. You know, a $100 to the normal naked eye looks real out in circulation. But when you go to the counter and, chart and, and check out, and you give them a 50 or a 100, now it's a 10 and a 5. But if you give them $100, what do they do with it? What's the teller do with it? They hold it up in the line. They go, man, you don't even know. What are you doing with my $100? What they're looking for is genuineness. Now, what, what makes that $100 genuine? There is electronic hidden, or not really, well, it is to, it, to the naked eye. It's a, a strip put in there. But you know what? There's a many a hundred dollars that's, that's entered into society that's bought food that you may have never looked at. As a matter of fact, there may be a hundred dollars in your pocket that you've given to the church, and we use that hundred dollars to pay the light bill. We, you use that $100 to tithe. But the fact of it is, when it crosses a banker's hands or someone that knows what they're looking at and found out that that $100 wasn't real, that was a counterfeit $100 bill. But it did a lot of good things. It bought a lot of good food. It let us pay the electric bill here at the church. But it was counterfeit. I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to your belief and my belief of whether we're saved or whether we're lost, one day all that are counterfeit are going to be made known unto God. And all of those who are real, all of those that have Jesus not on the outside, not that you look good on the outside, woo, been shot, but that you actually are good-looking on the inside. You see, the Bible's pretty clear that you and I, when we get saved and we repent, He cleans us up on the inside. And when we get clean on the inside, we got some help to help us on the outside. You say, Mike, does that mean that I'll never sin again when I repent? Is there anybody in, I'm, I'm asking you now, you tell me, anybody in here since you've been saved, you've never sinned again. So isn't that interesting? We know that we're going to deal with it. And we know that we got those sins that are so easily trip us up, that hinder us. Be careful, God's people. Don't let it harden your heart. Don't let it cause you to be stubborn-willed. Be sensitive to the Spirit and let that Spirit, I don't care if you got bitterness in your heart towards somebody, that's sin in your heart. If you got unforgiveness in your heart for somebody, that's sin in your heart. If you got ill will, that's sin in your heart. You must deal with that or it'll take you and it'll turn you and Satan will have you doing things that you never thought you'd ever do because you allow. Sin to go unrepented in your life. Understand, you want God to be close to you, then you better learn what repent, repentance means. 
And you better learn what 1 John 1 really means. It's not just to say, oh, God, I'm sorry, I overate today. It means tomorrow you don't overeat. The next day you don't overeat. The next day you don't overeat. That's called repentance. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, we come to you, Lord Jesus, and we know. And we thank you that you're a God who made it possible that even when we come to you as a believer and we still make choices that involve us in sin after becoming a believer, that you said, if you bring it to me and you truly confess it, you truly repent it, repent of it, I will forgive you and give you power over that in your life. I pray, Lord, that we'll see that before it takes us out. We'll see that before it dethrones us to the point where we are not the testimony that we need to be before you. God, help us to stay clean and pure. Help us that our hearts are drawn toward holiness and not toward sin. And let us know that we do have an enemy. There is a spirit in this community. There's a spirit in every community. There's a spirit that will come into our home and uh, it will take over if we allow it. God, help us as we see it hit our kids, as we see it as we're knocking out on doors and knocking on doors, we see that predominant spirit of the evil one working in the lives of young people. Help us, Jesus, to always be mindful of that even in our own lives. And if there's something in our lives today that comes to mind, when we speak of sin, Lord, help us deal with it today through the, through the fact of, of 1 John 1 9 and confession and then repentance, which is a change of mind, attitude, and behavior. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, still bowed and your eyes closed as you stand with me and our soloist begins to share. Maybe you just need to come to this altar and pray for a situation in your life. Pray for someone you know that's fallen by the wayside. Maybe it's a child or a loved one. And you want to see them back close to God. We need to bathe that in the prayer of the Holy Spirit. Just to bring something that's a bliss that will bless you.
foundational truths will be placed in kids' life that as they grow up and they reach 12 years old, they won't come to a door and tell someone, I'm an atheist. May they know and may our hearts be bent towards here of making sure that our children